we position ourselves to hear from God is a very big deal. How we position ourselves to hear from God is a very big deal. Here's what I mean. I, I think God has a word for us today in, in 1 Corinthians 6. Across all of our campuses, we're all teaching different texts today. And so uh, most weeks, the ways that it works is that we have a similar text and we all work together. We share ideas and questions and thoughts. Uh, but this week, we, we all just kind of let the Lord guide us. And, and, and the, the passage that was on my mind, kind of in my heart all week, was 1 Corinthians 6, the passage that we're going to be in today. And so I read 1 Corinthians 6, and, and I go, God, this is, this is not exactly a, a feel-good text. This is not exactly a, hey, welcome to Nashville. Welcome to Ethos, for those of you, your first time here. And it's at least not that way explicitly. In fact, what we're going to see as we work through 1 Corinthians 6 is it the Lord says some, some very tough things to us in here. Some things that we might be caught up in right in this moment that are actually enslaving us. And I've sensed all week that, that the Lord has been wanting to bring us to this place of, to receive his personal grace. It's not a grace for somebody else, not a grace for the person beside you. It's a grace for you, a grace for me. I think... I could be wrong. I'm not perfect. don't have perfect communication connection with the Lord, right? But I, I think the Lord has been leading us to 1 Corinthians 6 because he, he truly does love us. And he wants to set us free in the name of Jesus. He wants to set us free in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he established, the kingdom that he is still leading and advancing. And I think the Lord has a word for you personally today, a word for me. I don't know if, any, if anyone has ever even said those words to you before. I think the Lord has a word for you. I've I've only been like, that's kind of new language to me. In fact, the past year, like if before this year, if you would have said that to me, I'd be like, wait, that's, what are you talking about? That's so weird. And so if, if that's the place you come this morning, you're in, you're in good company. You're, in, you're, you're not the, 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 the stranger here. You're, you're just like all of us. But I, I do want to just say this. Uh, I know sometimes when, when people say those things, they've said them carelessly and they said those things that, that and they've led to much hurt and much pain. So I'm not saying that I have, thus saith the Lord, but you have to weigh this, you have to discern this. But, but I, I do think that in my prayer, my, my thought this week, that this passage has not been able to leave me. I think the world has a word for us. Um, I was on vacation a week and a half ago, and this girl from our church, I didn't check email while I was gone really, and she sent me an email and a Facebook message, and I checked my emails on Monday morning, and she's like, hey, you know, I feel like I got a word from the Lord for you, and I, prayed for you and uh, I discerned it with some friends and I think I'm supposed to share you share it with you and, and I don't know if anyone has ever said those words to you before but immediately I'm going oh crap what have I done what is the Lord going to say to me what what is it that and, and I instantly just go to, to thinking that God is just against me and, and then I go okay well maybe the I've been praying about some things I've been praying for some clarity and for answers maybe God has given this woman you know I believe she's full of the spirit maybe he's given her some words for me and, and I just kind of resolved, hey, no matter what the Lord speaks, that if it is from him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humbly posture myself, my heart to just receive it. Because even if it is hard words, I know that he loves me. I'm going to walk in repentance. And so I encourage you today, if, if anything from 1 Corinthians 6 really speaks into your life, if anything today speaks into your heart or into your situation, it is our Father, it is our Abba, and he is good. If there's any conviction, if there's any challenge, praise him. Praise him who loves us. Finley, my little girl, got a three and a half year old the other day. I don't think I even told a quarter about this, but I walked into her, uh, I walked into Jones's room. Jones is my son. 
And they had taken the toys and the books, not just from Jones's room, but also from Finley's room. So they carried them all the way down the hall. And I walk in and there is just this pile of toys and books in the middle of Jones's room. And I walk in and I go, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And, and the, the backstory is that I'd already picked up the house twice, like leading up to this point. And so I'm just a little bubbling like here, a little anger. And, and, and Finley looks at me and she says, dad, we wanted to make a mountain. And I'm like, okay, like, you know. All right, you know, you just convicted me for being a terrible dad. Just have fun, and, and when you get done, clean it up. And, and she looks at me, and she says, Dad, are you mad at me? I said, no, I'm not mad at you, but I know how this goes. Like, <laughs> you make a mess, and I clean it up. And, and I just want you to trust me. Like, pick up the toys, obey me, do what I say. And I think that same spirit from our Heavenly Father is in this text today. That so often when conviction comes, when hard words come into our life, we, we tend to just look at God and we go, God, are you mad at us? No, I'm not mad at you. But we've been here before and I want you to learn. I want you to listen. I want you to trust me. I want you to obey. So I'll say this, this is the longest intro ever, and then I'll jump into our text. I really have this sense that in the next season here at Marathon, at Ethos, that, that God has some wonderful things in store for our church family. I think God is going to do some amazing things, and I can't wait to share some of those things in the next few weeks. But I really believe that it's going to be so much more than just, just gathering to sing and to worship and to hear a sermon that I think God is going to use us in some significant ways in our city and in our culture. But just like the people of God have always been, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, that God desires for his people, his church, those who walk with Jesus to, to live in holiness and righteousness, to walk in repentance. God wants to start with his church in reforming and reviving the culture. Let's go. Verse 9. That's enough of me talking. Thanks for hanging with me. I'm going to read our text this morning, starting in verse 9. It's in the middle of the chapter. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. 
Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 6. Paul is writing to a church just like us, full of just normal, ordinary people. Teachers and students, businessmen, businesswomen, stay-at-home moms, attorneys, doctors. And Paul knows how easy it is for normal, ordinary, faithful followers of Jesus to begin to start justify the ways in which they're living. He knows how easy it is for, for the culture around us and for the enemy who is tempting us to deceive us and blind us. And he knows how easy it is for, for us to harden our own hearts the ways of God. And Paul speaks these words by the power of the Holy Spirit, not because he hates these people, but because he loves them. What a tragedy for these people. What a tragedy for us to live our entire lives believing a lie, believing what we want to believe, establishing our own truth. And Paul speaks into the culture by first speaking into the church. He says, people that are choosing to live and indulge in and pay no attention to living a life with Jesus, for Jesus, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to list out a bunch of things. I'm sure you were convicted by one or by many of them, just like I was. But here's what I want us to notice. He says, this is what some of you were. I go, how relevant for us? How relevant for us? What's up, Aaron? Maybe this isn't true for all of us. My guess is that for some of us, this, this was our life before Jesus Christ. We were the biggest slanderers around. That we lived to, to gossip about people and to hurt people with our words, both in their presence and behind their presence. That some of us, we were idolaters. We worshiped the sport that we played the education that we received, the occupation that we were in, we worshiped ourselves. And I go, man, I've spent a lot of my life being there. We were promiscuous, messing around, sleeping around, concealing it from those closest to us. And I love what Paul says, this is who, this is what you were. This is your past, not your present reality. And I love that he goes on to say, but you've changed, church. You've changed women and men of God. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I think we have to see this and remember this about Jesus because for many of us, he came and he found us and he started speaking to us and pursuing us not when we were living righteous lives but when we were living very far from it. And I think if we miss this today, we miss it all. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a friend of sinners. Amen? Jesus says this in Mark 2. It's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he so uh, audaciously goes on to say this. I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call Who? If you know the text, say it out loud. I've come to call who? Say it louder. Sinners. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And what we see about the life of Jesus that we have recorded in the Gospels 
is that he ate with the most notorious sinners and the most promiscuous people of his day. In a time where eating a meal was a sign of friendship and fellowship, Jesus ate with those who were thieves and swindlers. We see this in Luke 19 and Zacchaeus. Jesus made time in his busy schedule for people like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. A man that lived and made an idol out of money and fame and himself. And it's unbelievably undeniable that Jesus cared deeply for those who had been involved in sexual immorality. See this in John 4. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that his life spoke. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul and he's still speaking today through his words that he loves those who are stuck in sin. And he meets us where we are and he changes us and he cares too much to let us keep doing or to go back to wallowing in the things that keep us from being fully alive in the kingdom of God. I heard this in a podcast I was listening to recently. A man much smarter than I said this. He said, if, if the God that we are serving, if he never speaks into and against the things that we're doing, that is, that if, that if everything we do is always right and good and there's never any friction, never any conviction, are we really serving the God of the heavens? That if, if scripture never reaches in and shakes our thinking, our living, I wonder if it's worth examining if we are really following, if we are really allowing God to speak or if we're simply allowing the God that we have created, which is really just us, to guide us. You see, conviction and friction, they are not bad things. In fact, I would argue that, that they show that there is, there's deep interest and deep investment. Here's what I mean. About a year ago, we were driving our car and our kids did something and I just lost it on them. You're picking up on this theme, right? That I have some anger problems I need to work through. And, and they were doing something and I just, I yelled and, and I lost my cool. And court looked at me and she just said, I mean, you, you went too far right there. Like, that was too much. Like, need to chill. And it just convicted me so much. So much. It just, it, it bothered me. Why? Because there's relationship? Because I had messed up? Because I had dropped the ball? Because she spoke into that? And, and because I actually care? Some of you are being convicted right now. And conviction is not a bad thing. In fact, it shows that you care about the Lord. It shows that he cares about you. Let's keep going in verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say. And Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Here's what he's saying. As we think about ourselves, as we look around at the world and everything that it has to offer, it is so easy for us to, to start saying and to start believing, man, I can do whatever I want with my life. That it is so easy for us to adopt this philosophy that it's my body, it's, it's my sexuality, it's my choice, it's all mine. 
Some of you are experiencing a freedom, maybe for the first time in your life, where you realize that, that you have no one waiting up for you when you come home at night. They have no one that's checking on you, that no one that has access to your computer or your phone. And it is so easy when given freedom to develop this mindset sometimes that I have the right to do anything, to try anything, to experiment. There's this curiosity, this entitlement. And I love what Paul says in the end of verse 13. The body, however, it is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. It's a big statement. I understand this sentence, this, this passage, this in particular verse. And I think part of the reason is because I have children now. One of the things that I found myself praying over Finley and Jones about is that God would spare them from the sexual immorality that I was caught up in growing up. My own choices. I find myself holding them and, and I'm praying that God would spare them. That when they become teenagers and the temptations start coming, that, that, that they would have the discernment to see sin for what it is and not be deceived. I lay my hands on my children and I pray that they would be strong and holy and overcome. Because the reality is when you're caught up in sexual morality, it doesn't always feel like sin. And it is a sin that is hard to break free from. Messing around with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. The things that you're putting in front of you, the things that you're doing when no one else is around. It's a strong force. And Paul looks at this church that that he loves so dearly and he says, you're not made for this. And if this is your life right now, please hear me that, that you're not made for this. You're made for the Lord Jesus. I love what he says in verse 14. As by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. What is a Lord? Who is a Lord? We don't use that language very much in Nashville, Tennessee culture. A Lord is someone with power and authority. We know that Jesus is Lord of all. And yet this Lord died. Think about this with me for a minute. If, if, if a Lord, if someone was a, with authority and power dies, how do they typically die? Just think about us. There, there are a lot of ways that we could die. We could die of old age. We could die of disease. We could die of an accident. The thing about a Lord is that the possible way that they could also die is by being overthrown. And yet what we learn about our Lord Jesus is that, that none of those things happened to him. That the Lord, the one in charge of all the heavens and all the earth, he laid down his life. He laid down his life. He gave up his life. This is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10. He says that no one takes my life from me. 
This is what Philippians chapter 2 says, where it says, Who being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And it says, and, and he humbled himself and he became obedient to death. How did our Lord die? He denied himself. He gave up his privileges, his entitlements, and he offered it up to God. And he did it to save us. Let's finish up. Come back and I want to tie that in at the end. But verse 17, he says, Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Whoever is united with Jesus is, is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word of the Lord. Let's take a deep breath. Some heavy stuff. If you're a Christian and you're here today, you are one with Christ. If you're a Christian and you're here today, you are one with Christ. The oneness that he is describing. Think about a wonderful marriage maybe that you've seen or that you are a part of. Think about hanging out with Garrett and Kelly yesterday. Wonderful marriage. There's love. In a wonderful marriage, there is concern for, there is a sacrifice for, there is a, a constant thinking about how to bring the most full life to another person, and it goes both ways. That is a wonderful marriage. And this is what you find when you truly find Christ. You understand that, that, that Christ came and he died for your sins. All of them. That Christ came and he rose from, from the grave so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved, so that you could be washed clean, made beautiful and bright and blameless, so that you would be sanctified and justified. What you find when you find Christ is one who truly loves you. One who speaks, who comforts, who protects. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not just something that awaits us in the future. The kingdom of God is breaking in all around us right now. And it is an unbelievable joy to know God right now. It is a joy when God speaks to you personally, isn't it, Helga? It's a joy when God gives you dreams and visions and words and spiritual gifts. It is a joy to know God. It is a joy to be filled with the Spirit. It is a joy to know that you're forgiven of all the things that you've done that you're ashamed of. It is a joy to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what you discover in Jesus. You first discover one who loves you dearly, whose love never fails, whose love never gives up, whose love never runs out when you discover Jesus, when he discovers you. You receive this love. But just like in an amazing marriage, a wonderful marriage, you don't just receive it, you want to give it in return. 
you discover, you find one that, that you want to love like Paul describes in verse 14 where he says you, you want to give your body to. And what I mean by that is in verse 12 that, that we learn to be people who, who, don't, who don't say this, who don't live with this kind of entitlement like he says in verse 12. I have the right to do anything. Instead, we start to, to, to think about our, our Jesus and our relationship with him. And when you've been changed by the, the grace of God, the personal grace of God that is for you, you begin to go, man, how can I give you my life, my body, for all that you've done for me. Just like in a marriage, wife lays down his uh, wife lays down her life for a husband, and a husband lays down his life for the wife. And what hit me about 1 Corinthians 6 is that oneness with Christ is what Paul had and what he is after for his people. Oneness with Christ. Oneness with Christ. Receiving personal grace and having this desire to lay down our lives for him. And where this oneness happens, the Holy Spirit dwells there in power. The same Spirit that was given to Jesus in baptism The same spirit that's given to us when we turn to him in faith and repentance and baptism. Not just for the super Christians, not just for those who have the answers, who have life figured out, not just for those who grew up in church. It is for anyone who turns to Jesus in faith and says, I want Christ. So what do we do with this? Tough word from 1 Corinthians 6. But yet beautiful. Yet God speaks into us even when we don't like what he has to say sometimes. And we have the choice. What will we do with that? I was praying this morning. Um, finishing my coffee. About to go in the office and, and finish typing my notes. And um, I felt like the Lord was just saying, what do you want today? You have anything today at, at Marathon, what do you want? And just sat there, I didn't really know what I wanted. Like About a minute I realized what I wanted is uh, for none of us to, to respond with, with indifference and apathy to the Lord. That for some of you, you're, you're not caught up in any of these things right now. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be like, okay, well, maybe, you know, I, I am struggling with this. Like, some of you, you, you're not wrestling with these right now. And I encourage you to not respond with indifference and apathy, like, oh, that's for somebody else. Go, no, think about how amazing it was when, when Christ started pursuing you and changing your life. That we would not respond with indifference and apathy. And some of us come to this place and we are super convicted. We have no idea what to do with it. We don't want to do anything with it because we're embarrassed and we're ashamed. There's nothing to be embarrassed and ashamed of. Every single one of us has been or is caught up in sin. And the enemy wants to deceive you. Make you think you're the only one. You're not the only one. May we respond not with indifference and an apathy. But appropriately. 
for some. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion. And for some, the Lord is calling you to himself. You're not a believer, but you want to be a believer. Give your life to Jesus. Let nothing stand in your way of beginning a relationship with Christ. And it sounds so foreign to have this love for a God that you cannot see. You have to first receive his love before you can ever experience that. Have the courage, have the faith to step in a relationship. If you want to become a Christian, if you want to know what that means, there'll be some of us at the back, some women, and some men at the Respond Banner. The Respond Banner is not just for people who've wrecked their lives. It's for people who have questions, people who just need prayer. It's for anyone here. Come and find one of us in the back. For some of us here today, maybe the word from verse 18, free, flee from sexual immorality. Maybe this is applicable for you today. I've been thinking about this passage in Hebrews where it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What? Have you ever resisted sin to the point of shedding blood? I'm going, I don't even know that intensity of, of clinging to holiness, of, of refusing to let the enemy in. I don't even, I don't even know that, that type of grit and but I want that. Flee from sexual immorality. For those of you who are wives in here today, if a man at work is, is flirting with you and it's flattering because your husband hasn't been paying attention to you and pouring into you and meeting your needs, flee. May your marriage be spared. She took these words seriously. If you and your girlfriend are going back to your apartment and you know you're going to be weak, flee. If you're home alone and you feel tempted to get on your phone, computer, Flee. Go on a run. Get out of the house. Like Jesus Christ never sinned. Not once. Not one time did he take the bait. And he's with us. Do you know that? If you're a Christian, you don't just have oneness with, with Christ, the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of God. Which means... At the same Christ who overcame every attack, every temptation, every lie, every deception, he is with us. He's with you, Paloma. He's with you, Chad. He's with you, Bill. He's with you, Dawei. He's with you, Cassie. He's with you, David. He's with you, on God. He's with you, Hunter. He's with you, Nathan. He's with you, Lori. He's with you, Josh. He's with you, Christopher. He's with you, Riley. He's with you, Andrew. He's with you, Kristen. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you, Camille. He's with you. Which means that he gives us self, the self-control. He gives us the power. 
the same Lord that denied himself, that said no to his rights and privileges and entitlements, the one who laid down his life, that same Lord is living in us. And he's strong and he's powerful and he's real. That teaches us to say no, that teaches us to flee. Claim it, Christians. This is your story. This is who you are. Claim it. Walk in it. We're going to take communion here in just a minute. Some of you need to confess and repent. Man, this is, don't let this be a condemning thing for you. What I've so often found is that when I have the courage to confess sin to court or to some of my friends, that, my coworkers, that, that you always go into this going, man, they're never going to understand. They're going to judge me. They're going to think these terrible things about me. And the reality is when you have the courage, when you have the, op- the, the, the willingness to open the door and to say, this is who I am, you are not met with condemnation and judgment especially if that person has been wrecked by the grace of Jesus. And so I'm not telling you to go and confess and, uh, to, to anyone and everyone, but if you know someone who's been changed by the grace of God and you need to confess some sin, confess and repent and walk in the freedom of Jesus. He's done everything necessary for you to be saved, for you to, be, to live in holiness. So walk in repentance. And I love this. And honor him with your body. Good news is that he's with us in our bodies. Philippians chapter 2 says it is God who works in us. Not in front of us, not behind us. It is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I invite us to stand, to worship, to confess. To thank the good Lord for his mercy, his grace. Let's pray. We rejoice in the gospel, Jesus. That when we care nothing for you, that when our hearts were of stone, when, when there was nothing in us that cared about you, you came and died. And you've came and you have come to, to, to shatter our hearts of stone and to give us hearts of flesh, hearts that beat for you. God, hearts that feel, hearts that care, hearts that are convicted, hearts that respond. I pray that for every man and woman here that you remove any heart of stone, any bit of cynicism or bitterness and replace it with a heart of flesh that responds. Don't let the enemy condemn us. Don't let conviction just stop at conviction. Let it finish its race. God, let us walk in your freedom and in your joy. God, pour out your spirit from the ground up. Would you loosen us? Let us dance. Let us worship. We are grateful for the cross and the empty tomb. You are alone our hope, God. Thanks for never, ever, ever giving up on us. For your spirit on us, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise forever and ever. And your people say together, amen.